Welcome back to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast, where we're telling the amazing, untold, wacky, weird, and inspiring stories of type 1 diabetics from across the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, and I wanted to let you know that we now have over 500 years of living with T1D on the podcast, and we're on track to be over 1,000 by the end of the summer, which is pretty exciting. I also wanted to chat about my new email series, Friday T1D Feels, where I send you a personal note, no fancy graphics or anything like that, about what I've been thinking about in the world of type 1 diabetes during that week. If you're into that, just go to diabeticsdoingthings.com and sign up. I'd also like to take a minute to talk about hashtag coverage to control. JDRF is raising awareness around the fact that most of us don't get to pick the insulin pumps we have, just the ones our insurance will cover. Just imagine if your cell phone was like that. Except this isn't a phone, it's what keeps us alive. So let your voice be heard and tell your insurance company that T1Ds and their doctors should decide what kind of pumps they use, not the companies. I'm looking at you, Aetna, United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Let's get this right. Okay, enough chatter. Let's get back to the episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all over the world. And my special guest today uh, is Jennifer Stilson. Jen, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Hey, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, I know you're calling in from New York today. Um, and I, I want to uh, give us give our listeners a little bit more insight as to sort of who you are and um, and and why you've come upon come upon the Diabetics Doing Things podcast today. <laughs> I got it. I've had a little bit of extra caffeine uh, just now, so I'm a little <laughs> bit uh, my words are tangled up. I, I feel you. Me too. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So give us uh, so give us a little bit of background on you and um, you know where you're from and uh, how you joined the T1D family. Sure. Uh, So I am originally from Washington State, up in the good old Pacific Northwest, Spokane, Washington, born and raised. Uh, Went to school at the University of Washington in Seattle. And uh, during my time at school, I was fortunate enough to have an internship with NBC here in New York City uh, with Late Night. It was Late Night with David Letterman at that time. It was before he made the switch to CBS. I got an internship, went back to school, and then about a year later, they called me with a job opportunity uh, to be the receptionist for the show. And I did that for a little bit. And then I moved into Dave's office as one of his assistants did that for a couple of years, which was a fantastic experience, obviously. Uh, laughing every day is, is never a bad deal. And then uh, after that, I went to John Stewart's show when he had a late night talk show. It was syndicated. Uh, it was broadcast on, on various stations across the country. And I, that was the point where I realized um, I wanted to work in music because I was given the opportunity to, to start in the music department as an assistant. And um, I immediately fell in love with that. And uh, we got to book all sorts of really great cutting edge bands. Um, you know, it was in the mid to, to late 90s. The show, uh, unfortunately, didn't work out. John went on, of course, to host The Daily Show. But I uh, followed my boss at the John Stewart Show to VH1 and uh, went to the music department there. 
and um, was, you know, slowly kind of moved my way up in that department, ultimately becoming a vice president in the music and talent relations department. And about two years ago, we moved to MTV. And um, I was at MTV for a couple of years working in more of a music marketing capacity. So that's kind of my story. And I, I, I live in New Jersey with my great husband, Greg, and we have two fur children, uh, Gerard and Pepita Consuela, a French bulldog and a long-haired chihuahua. Oh, that's, so that's my story. What, <laughs> what, what great names uh, for you. <laughs> for your fur uh, your fur babies yes thank you um so you sort of just glossed over it i mean what a, what a story first of all um you know and what an opportunity to work with some very um notable names obviously what do you um you know when you were working for you know john stewart and for david letterman what do you remember from a from a type one perspective um obviously those are those are jobs that demand sort of like a 24-hour, I, I, I imagine, not the typical nine-to-five environment. Um, any any sort of stories from those days with your diabetes? Well, it was interesting because, you know, part of my job with David Letterman was, you know, ordering food and such for him. And he was a big Hershey's uh, chocolate fan, uh, milk chocolate bars. And so obviously uh, that would come in very, very handy <laughs> when I was having a low. Um, there would be several boxes of, of chocolate in my office at any given time. And, uh, you know, whenever I was feeling a little funky, I'd just have to reach over to the side there and, and grab one. Um, but, you know, I, it, it, was, it was very demanding, uh, certainly, and uh, for some of it, there, you know, there, there, there were times where I'd get a call, you know, late, late at night or super early in the morning, I'd have to kind of rush in and, and go and take care of things. You know, being, being his assistant required that sometimes, not a lot, a, a lot less than you would think. I mean, there were two of us who assisted him, so we would kind of trade off on, on um, you know, the various things that he would need. But it was exhausting, but it was also exciting at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I found it challenging to kind of keep up with you know, with, with what I needed to do for my diabetes. Um, and oftentimes I would ignore it, which is obviously a bigger part of the story that, that we'll get into, but I somehow managed, um, you know, I, I would go for hours sometimes without eating. So that's why I say those chocolate bars came in handy sometimes. Um, and you know, I, I certainly wish that I had more time to check my sugar and, and, and manage things a little bit better, but I was so active and, and constantly on the go that I, I felt like, you know, it, it balanced things out in terms of, you know, physical activity, et cetera, and stress, <laughs> which is not good for you, but, um, it was, it was an excited kind of stress. So maybe that's, Maybe that's a little bit different, right? And and I think you know being in situations like that where it's just high energy all the time, um, and you know high stakes. Um, it's still, I mean, you're still going to manifest that stress, but at least sometimes you can go back and justify it a, a little bit that you're you know doing something that you enjoy and that it's that it's a fun 
type of uh, stress that you're undertaking. Absolutely. And, and I did just that, you know, and I, it, and I had the backdrop of, of New York City and friends and, you know, so many things going on all the time that it, it was just, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you have to remember that I came from, you know, Eastern Washington. And suddenly here I am, you know, plopped in the middle of New York City in my, in my early 20s. You know, it, it was like a kid in a in a candy shop. That's probably a bad reference for it. I think it's more apropos than bad. I think really. Um, yeah, yeah I, it really, it really, it really was a, a fantastically exciting time. And, and I kind of want to go back to, you know, as you, as you were diagnosed and you, you mentioned uh, that you're similar to me that you were diagnosed when you were 16 years old, um, going from, you know, Eastern Washington, which I love by the way, it has a special place in my heart because I, uh, I'm a 2013 Spokane HoopFest champion. So, um, wow, for, for small world. very small world, um, and have some, you know, great friends up in the, uh, Spokane area. Um, but yeah, that aside, uh, let's go back to, you know, 16 year old Jen is, is diagnosed with type one in an area uh, that you mentioned, you know, there weren't a lot of other type ones around the, the awareness and education was a little bit lower. What was that like for you? Um, you know, in retrospect, as 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 I think about it, as I get older, um, it was traumatic. And at the time, I I think I was a bit numb. Um, but I I was fortunate enough enough to have a mom who was a nurse, and she recognized. Uh, pretty quickly that something was going on and suspected that it was type one and got me to the hospital right away and I was diagnosed and and I, I really, you know, I, I didn't know what, what hit me um, and didn't really care to understand it either. I just, I was locked in this state of um, not wanting to feel different and not wanting to feel, you know, I'm 16 years old and I'm sure you can relate and you just want to be like everyone else. You don't want to stand out as, you know, the quote unquote sick kid, especially at that time, which was, you know, in the, in 1986, um, where there was really little or no knowledge about type one, at least, around, you know, my school. There wasn't another type one in, in sight. So when I was diagnosed and word got out, um, people didn't know what to think. And, and you know, I, I would get the, oh my goodness, are you okay? And, and you know, the, the rumors would start and, and people just, you know, thought it was a, a death sentence at, at that point in time. So that caused me to just kind of go deeper and deeper into my shell. I was a shy kid as it was and um, a shy nerdy kid. Um, and so I just, I tried really hard to kind of push it aside and, and tell everyone, you know, listen, it's fine. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, we're taking care of it. I have the medicine that I need and I just kind of pushed it aside. So, you know, if you talk to anyone, anyone I went to high school with, you know, who knew me when I was diagnosed, there was that initial shock 
of wow, she's she's got this thing. We don't really know what it is, but whatever. She seems to be okay. She looks okay. She comes to school and she walks around like everybody else. So it quickly just kind of dissipated. You know, this whole Jen is a diabetic type of thing, and I allowed that. And um, you know, that is certainly one of the regrets that I have. But it was just a, a survival mechanism, if you will. And so I, I, I love that. I love that that you talk about. Talk a little bit about when you're 16 years old. You're under tremendous pressure to fit in, to be normal, um, and you are starting to come to terms with your diabetes and your identity as a diabetic um, as well as your identity in your social circles and people start to look at you and say oh well it doesn't seem that bad Um, she's pretty normal Um, and then falling into that trap where you just don't really acknowledge it as much anymore yeah I mean that I I just kind of I, I built a habit very very quickly of of sweeping it under the rug uh, in an effort to fit in and, and in an effort to just uh, to, to be like everyone else and to feel like I was like everyone else. And I had my mother, who was a nurse, obviously um, in my ear all the time and, and wanting me to test and wanting me to, you know, just make sure I, uh, I ate the right things, etc. So I, it was a strange dichotomy. Um, that I that I had going on I had her and then I as soon as I would leave the house and I was on my own it it was just a completely different story and you know when you're diagnosed at at 16 where it's kind of just the culmination of, of, of peer pressure and just trying to fit in I I took the route of, of just almost pretending like it didn't exist. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that I didn't take my insulin. I always took my insulin. And it doesn't mean that I didn't test, but I certainly didn't test the way that I should have tested. Um, But I got into this pattern and this habit when I was out of the house of just not acknowledging it at all. And as the years went by, that just became the way I lived. And a year became two years, became five years, became seven years, became almost 30 years. And, um, you know, it, it because I, you know, moved to New York and I had this crazy life and working in show business and so much excitement and so much going on, I didn't really allow myself, you know, the moment to sit down and, 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 really try to to make the change that I needed to make because nothing had happened, you know, and I felt okay and everything was going all right. And my doctors, you know, although my A1C was too high, um, everything else checked out great. So I just kept living. I kept going down that path that was working for me um, until, you know, that day came when I, I had to, I had to face this and, you know, it's not because I, I, I was ashamed of the disease necessarily, especially, you know, in my twenties, moving into my thirties and forties, 
Um, the shame part came when I was newly diagnosed and I just wanted to be like everyone else. But I, it's, it's very difficult to describe and maybe I'm just not articulating it properly, but it just became a way of life for me to just kind of keep doing what I was doing because it was working out for me the way I was doing it. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's really interesting for me to think about it now. And, you know, listen, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we all have regrets, but I think it all happened for a reason. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I think, you know, the point of my wanting to do this podcast with you today was to tell the audience that, you know, we all have, well, have different journeys uh, with this disease. And my way just happened to be a little, um, a little different than a lot of people's, but it's all meant to kind of teach us something in the end. And, um, you know, I, I, I struggle with it a little bit if I think about it too much, but I think the point in everything here is that, you know, I'm here and I'm doing well. And, um, you know, if there's any sort of, you know, advice I can impart on, on anyone is that, you know, you just kind of have to find your way and the way that it's intended to be found for you as, as a diabetic and in, in dealing with, you know, the daily struggle that is this disease. It, and that's so true. Um, and I think, you know, finding your way and being confident in that is sometimes the hardest part. Um, before we kind of move on to your transformation, I want to I want to focus a little bit more on, um, you know, your sort of walk in denial and and something that you said specifically struck me is that when you left the house, you tried not to think about it, um, and it struck me as interesting because I imagine that there are a lot of other people that that are doing the same thing um, or feel the same way about, uh, you know, maybe being out with coworkers or friends and needing to test their blood sugar and not doing it because they, you know, don't want to you know, bring out their, their glucometer or they, you know, don't want to admit that something may be wrong or don't want to field questions Hello? about that. Are you there? Yeah, I think you just cut out for a little bit there. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, let me go back here. So, um, I, I, want, I was just focusing on the, the idea that there's other, there are other people that are going through the same type of denial that, uh, that, that you might have been going through, um, especially, you know, in your, your 20s and 30s and people who are leaving the house and are, you know, not comfortable, you know, if they need to test their blood sugar, like testing it because for one reason or another, either they're embarrassed or they want people to ask questions or uh, whatever the case may be. And I wanted to know, um, you know, what were those emotions for you, maybe, if you remember? And, you know, how would you, you know, what would you tell someone who was going through something like that? Um, yeah, and, and I wanted to also express um, that, you know, and I'm going to sound like an, an, an old lady right now, but, um, you know, 
when when I was growing up with the disease, the testing your blood sugar wasn't as simple as it is now. It does it didn't take five seconds. It took a couple of minutes, and there are these big strips that you had to put a big old drop of blood on, and then wait sixty seconds, and then wipe it off with a cotton ball, and then hold it up to a bottle and compare, you know, the colors to see what you may or may not be, and the range was crazy. Um, and then, you know, I would have to take my insulin out of syringes. Um, so it was a thing. It, it became a, a thing to take care of my diabetes. And when you're, when you're young and you're trying to fit in, you don't want to have that thing. So I would just, you know, I would make sure that I took my shot in the morning. And if I had to take a shot before a meal, um, or, or what have you, I, I would go to the bathroom and I would hide in a stall. You know, I never, ever felt comfortable, even around f friends and family, I never felt comfortable, you know, injecting in front of them. Um, so it was, you know, now I'm on the pump and I have a CGM and everything is a touch of a, but of a button and it's really easy. And, and I just, you know, want to express to the audience that, you know, we're so fortunate to have the technology that we have now. It makes it so much easier than it than it ever was. And it and it makes accepting the disease, I think, a little easier too, because you don't feel like you're on display with it as much. Um, and I felt like I, I was on display um, whenever I would would test my sugar, just would engage people in questions. And I just didn't want to have to sit there for 10 or 15 minutes and, and answer questions about it. I just wanted to do it. So, um, you know, it was, it, it was just easier for me to look the other way. And you're absolutely right. We'd be in a situation and I'd, I'd say, okay, I need to test my blood sugar now. And I just didn't want to deal with it. So I didn't do it. And I was flying a little blind in, in kind of what my dosages were because of that fact. And then obviously when meters came around and, you know, were quicker and, and less conspicuous, then that was a whole different ball game. But what I'm referring to, I think, is when the seed was planted at a very young age for me to pretend it didn't exist, it was because it was, it was a thing. As, as I said before, and that just got ingrained in me as I got older. And even though technology developed around me, I, I really wasn't interested in it because I had been living this way for so long. Right. No, and, and I think, you know, how it starts and something that I try to focus on and really one of the main reasons that I um, started diabetics doing things is because how you start is such a huge part of how you filter every other interaction with the disease or with other people for the rest of your life. Um, and like for you, you know, you've uh, obviously like technology was a huge part of that because as well as awareness and education, because we just didn't know that much about diabetes really until the last 20, 25 years. Um, and, you know, it was funny, you know, celebrating the, uh, nearly a hundred years ago, you know, the discovery of insulin. So it's just like the, the amount of time that we've had to spend with people actually living well with type one is relatively short by comparison. Yes. yes. Um, and when I was diagnosed, I mean, you know, it was very, 
it was very kind of a clinical approach to my diagnosis. There was no humanity attached to it, really. It was was this uh, this nurse who who just wanted to kind of do what she had to do and go home, and and that made it made it difficult for me too. And 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 there was just very little education that was provided to me in in a way that felt comfortable and felt human. So I had all of these things kind of coming at me at once. And I think I, you know, to make a long story short here, I was overwhelmed. um, And I was scared because at the time of my diagnosis, you know, the, the prognosis for type ones was in, in older, you know, as they age was unknown really. Um, and so I was just kind of looking into a vacuum almost and like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And then you hear all the horror stories as we all have heard. And, oh, my great aunt had diabetes and, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, but there really wasn't any sort of reference for me of, of, a, of a healthy older person who had type 1 at that time. So, you know, it all just kind of... Um, coalesced into how I, you know, chose to deal with my disease at that time, which, you know, certainly was, was the opposite of, of kind of facing it and, and trying to embrace it. And, and, uh, you know, that's unfortunate, but the, the good part of the story is I, I, you know, finally figured it out. Well, and and you said something there as well. Um, that you didn't have a human approach to type one to refer to. Um, and I think this is a good time for us to sort of segue into beyond type one and the, the work that you do and the work that they're doing um, to, to humanize the disease and give a face and a voice to people. That's, that's not as clinical because I think you're right. There's a lot of good clinical um, content, there's a lot of good clinical companies that are, you know, treating diabetes, but they're not really helping people live with it. Right. Uh, and so I think really in the last the, the last few years since Beyond Type 1 has come on the scene, like it's a dramatic change in the voice of the T1D community. Um, so talk a little bit about that and, and how you got involved and, um, you know, the work that you guys are doing. Absolutely. So um, it was... Let's see. It was 2016. Yes, so last, so year before, yeah, last year, last spring. Um, I was, I had been having some difficulty with my left eye, and my vision was was starting to to uh, be a little little screwy. And so I went to my ophthalmologist, who's amazing, and it turned out that I. Um, I was starting to show signs of diabetic retinopathy. And um, so I went and, you know, it it was ultimately determined that I needed surgery for it, which was quite an interesting um, experience that I can save for another time. But um, as I was recovering from the surgery, um, I had been working with Nick Jonas at my job at MTV. We were doing a campaign with him 
uh, called Ultimate Fan Experience. And he, uh, I had booked him for, for this campaign. And um, so I was working with his camp and obviously knew he was a type one and, and speaking with his managers. And um, this, this was, this work was being done kind of concurrently with, with my eye problem. Um, and so when I was recovering from the surgery and I was able to work on the phone a little bit and I was working on this campaign and I got to know his managers, um, and I was very, very reflective during this time because when you're recovering from surgery from, uh, it's called a vitrectomy, um, you, you really can't do much. You have to sit in a chair and you have to put your head down and you have to let the, the retina heal. And so there's a lot of time where you're kind of sitting there and you're thinking. And so I'm working on the phone and I'm talking to Nick's managers and Nick's managers tell me about the I'm type one. And, you know, mean, meanwhile, I'm sitting in this chair with my head down and I'm like, this is really kind of an interesting sign here. Um, I'm learning about this organization. I'm working with Nick Jonas and, and I just came out of eye, eye surgery. There's gotta be a message there somehow, some way, you know, something, something is telling me something here. So, um, I found out more about Beyond Type 1 as, as I was recovering and um, decided to give Tom Cher a call and we set up some meetings and they asked me to be on the leadership council. And as I heard more and more about this organization, I, I just was blown away, um, absolutely blown away by the work that they were doing. Um, the, the, the human element that was infused in every single thing that they, that they were doing, uh, the differences, the difference that they were making in, in people's lives and real tangible things, seeing photos of, of children that were benefiting from everything the organization was doing and just such a progressive human approach to this disease that I'd never seen before ever and that's what I was missing and that's when it just kind of you know it came to me that that is what I was missing all along was this human approach to to the disease a support system I'm on the app every single day um and and just being able to sit and and have a community of type ones right at my fingertips and being able to feel for the first time in my life that I'm not alone and that I, it's okay to be different because there are actually a lot of people just like me. I just hadn't found them yet. And, um, you know, I, I'm just so honored to be a part of it. I, I was a part of their fundraiser and I just got the crazy competitive, you know, I got to raise as much money as I possibly can for this organization. I went uh, with with Sarah and Tracy to to get the check here in New York, and the the level of of gratification it has brought me is is I, I really you know don't have the words to describe what they've what they've accomplished in such a short time with this organization is is simply awe-inspiring and I just I honestly I get so teary-eyed just talking about it because I think about all those kids 
who are diagnosed at such a young age, just like me, and being able to have this resource, um, it, it's such an incredible thing. It can make all the difference in the world in someone's lives and how they choose to, you know, move forward with the disease and something that I didn't have. Um, it, it often, you know, makes me think like, well, what would it, what would have been different for me? And I, I think, you know, a, a lot of things would have been, um, not that I'm, you know, kind of looking back and, and regretting anything, because like I said earlier, I think we all have our own journey and we're all taught, you know, different things for different reasons, but it's such an incredible resource and, um, I, I'm just so proud of it. Well, and, and I think, you know, you touched on a lot of amazing things about Beyond Type 1, but I'll focus in on two. That uh, It's amazing to see how easy it is now to connect with other people like you and learn that there are other people just like you who are going through the same things. It used to be not as easy. Um, no. and, now, and now, you know, Beyond Type 1 has created that platform. Um, on the other side of that, um, you know, for people who are, lost and they are have recently been diagnosed or they're off to a tough start because maybe the person who um, either diagnosed them or their endo or whatever the case may be it's just approaching things from too clinical of a perspective and not looking at the person oftentimes Absolutely. now the first place they find now is beyond type one when they go and they look they get on google and they start to you know talk about living uh, with with type 1 diabetes and and the all the amazing people associated with it and people that I've met you know that are both inside the doors of beyond type 1 and you know just externally as ambassadors or just associates and uh, it's just it's amazing it's it's so great to see and I think it's it's really doesn't get enough credit for being the amazing community of online T1Ds that it is. Like it's, uh, there's so much negativity about social media out there and a lot of it is, is justified for sure. But one of the, you know, some of the amazing untold stories are happening right there at Beyond Type 1. Yes. And it's just, you know, when you're having a weak moment or you've, you've just been hitting lows all days or, or you've been high for a few days, you, you can go somewhere and you can put it, you can go to the app and you can put it up there and you immediately just have people supporting you, sharing very similar stories, providing advice, just listening. Um, there's humor, you know, there's a lot of levity. There's a lot of, you know, there, there's every kind of a shade of emotion on the app. And it's just, it's such a soft place to land. And I, I think that that is actually, you know, one of the things that Nick Jonas said when, when he was um, creating the organization with, with the others is he wanted to create a place, a soft place to land. And that's really, to me, the best way to describe it. Um, I just feel when I'm at wit's end and I'm frustrated and I don't know why, you know, I'm feeling a certain way or why my sugars aren't cooperating. I just have a place to go. And, you know, that, that never, that never was the case because again, you know, even through my, my twenties and thirties, I didn't, I knew of maybe one or two other type ones, but they, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't close to them. They, they lived across the country and it just never really kind of happened as, as a friendship. But now suddenly I've, I've got thousands, you know, so it's, it's pretty spectacular. 
and for you now, you know, outside of uh, obviously like the personal, um, you know, benefits and feeling connected and being part of the community, from a clinical perspective, your your actual treatment of your type one has improved greatly as well. Yes. So, you know, again, another silver lining out of the eye surgery was, you know, my decision to, you know, obviously be a part of Beyond Type 1, which helped enormously in in my feeling confident and accepted and comfortable with the disease and starting that kind of metamorphosis of of facing the disease and wanting to take care of it better. So I went to my endocrinologist, had a conversation, and we, for the first time in my life, I was open to starting pump therapy. And, um, you know, I, I just, I just decided it's time. Um, I've, I've kind of had enough of this, this shroud of denial and, and, um, I'm, I'm ready to kind of embrace this thing and, and start pump therapy. And I started, uh, on, uh, a CGM as well. And that was last, uh, I believe it was last July. I started both and sure it was scary. It was bumpy. Uh, it was a little bit of a bumpy ride in the beginning and I'm still learning a lot and figuring all of this out. But my numbers have gone from a 9.5 A1C to a 6.6 A1C. And I can't even tell you, you know, I never thought I would be that person that just would geek out, um, over my, my, uh, A1C numbers, but I'm geeking out. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, what a change, right? Uh, it's, it's so crazy how, because uh, I've had a very, you know, not as drastic maybe, but a very similar story of my own. Like since I've started diabetics doing things, I went from an A1C of 7.6 to 6.1. So and I yep. mean, it really didn't, I think a friend, of I put a long like Facebook post up a few weeks ago and uh, a friend asked like, well, what do you, what do you think was the main trigger? Because I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. And you know, even though I've dialed it in a little bit more, it's not, it's not like I dramatically turn the way I live my life around. And I just said, you know what? It's just a conscious, mindful, you know, thing. It's like maybe maybe testing my blood sugar one more time per day. Maybe dialing in, uh, you know, being a little bit more liberal with, uh, you know, adjusting some of my pump settings, going to my doctor more often. Like those aren't things that you say like, oh, wow, yeah, that one thing did it. It's just like a little bit every day. Um, and, you know, sort of that like all good things come from compound interest. You know, just a little bit, a, a little bit of heightened awareness on your, on where you stand every single day, or trying something new um, and implementing it, or just feeling encouragement from the community. All those things play a huge part in, you know, actually improving the quality of your life. Yeah, and and you know, something that was so overwhelming to me um, upon my my diagnosis, I, I thought that, you know, I was just going to have to flip every thing that I, you know, was accustomed to doing, I'd have to flip it just, you know, dramatically to see a difference. And, and to your point, that's not the case. It's just little tweaks here and there. So, you know, I think we, we get in our heads about it uh, much more than we need to, but 
it is such an emotional hit when when you're told you have a disease when you are told that you have a chronic illness and hearing all of the those voices telling you you know oh this is this is what could happen it it gets it gets into your brain and it's very hard to let go of it but you know i think both you and i are here to say that it's really just little things that you tweak you know, over a, a longer period of time that, that truly, truly make a difference. Um, but it all starts, the foundation starts with, with at least for me, a supportive community of others who know exactly what it's like to have type one. And, you know, you try to explain it to friends and family and, you know, they, they do their darndest to, to listen and, and to try to understand. But unless you have this disease, like any other disease, you just don't know what it's like. So to be able to have that foundation of support from people who know exactly what it feels like when you're having a crazy low or when you've eaten a big meal and you're you're skyrocketing you know it's it's just it's it's different it's it's really a an important thing i think that you know any newly diagnosed person has to you know face it is and you know like you said our you know our loved ones and friends do their best to to understand it um and sometimes i you know over the years i've had to soften my edges a little bit on explaining it because it is hard to explain and it is hard to understand and most people are just genuinely curious um yes. but you know like even you know today's my mom's birthday uh, so by the time i publish this it'll be you know a few weeks from now but um, happy birthday, Rob's mom. <laughs> yes, happy birthday, mom. Um, so we, you know, we went to we went to brunch today, and I ate more than I normally did, and I had some sweet, uh, you know, some sweet things because it was, you know, it was brunch for my mom's birthday. I wanted to splurge a little bit, and you know, now I know I'm gonna have to take a nap later today because I'm, you know, I'm just exhausted from, uh, you know, from a little bit of a blood sugar spike. Even though my numbers have been relatively normal, it just takes more energy, and that's hard to explain to somebody. It's like, yeah. oh, like you know, a meal can like put me down for half an hour. You know what I mean? Yes, and it's it's true. I mean, it, you know, my husband, I, I always say, well, you know, I'm just gonna go take a nap, and he's like, okay, you go do that. But I know he's thinking like, well, we didn't really. Do anything today? Why are you taking a nap? But it's because I, you know, ate something a little, a little sweeter, or you know, I'm metabolizing things a little differently today than I did a couple of days ago, based on you know, not exercising today versus a couple of days ago. You know, it's just a, it's a moment to moment kind of temperature on how you're feeling, and I, I think that that's very hard to um, explain to people. You know just based off of what kind of physical activity you're doing and what kind of food you're eating, you know? Right. No, and it's, it's just, it's a balance, right? It's, yeah, you know, absolutely. every day, every day is a, is a unique challenge. And I think, you know, when I'm talking to either younger, younger people with diabetes or newly diagnosed uh, people, it's just like, Hey, it gets better, but every day could be, a, is a challenge. It's just, uh, there will be something different. Something will change. And just when you think you have it figured out, uh, there runs a chance that something could surprise you. 
Yes, it's it's little nasty little man that way. It just decides uh, one day it's just gonna drive you drive you nuts for no apparent reason. Right, and that's something that I think all type ones can really identify with, but very difficult uh-huh. for for people without it. Um, Absolutely. So now you know you've gotten your your A one C. Uh, to a level that you're much more uh, that I'm that I'm sure you're much happier you're with you're more open you've uh, you've joined the Beyond Type One team and been a part of you know this amazing sort of revolution of the humanization of Type One. Um, what are you hopeful for uh, as you move forward uh, living with Type One after all these years? What am I hopeful for? Well, um, there's I'm I know that I'm grateful for so much and out of gratitude um obviously comes hope so you know i i'm i'm blown away by you know the development in technology um i'm still in awe of my devices i look at them every day and i just i want to kiss them because i i just can't believe that that we've come so far and and like every type 1 diabetic will say of course of course of course of course i want a cure but i i I just i i want to see beyond type 1 grow i i want the stigma of diabetes to go away i want people to understand it and um you know as the as the type 1 community we have we have quite a task in front of us to do our best in educating people who don't know about it or don't understand it um, just in our own personal way of, as, as I do now the summer's coming and I, I'm gonna wear my my CGM on my arm proudly and I hope people ask me what it is. And if they don't ask me what it is, I might tell them what it is. I might become that person, which I never in a million years thought I would be. But I think that it's it's just piece by piece, step by step, each one of us trying to educate the world about diabetes um, and and embracing it to you know as as much as we possibly can that's comfortable to us as individuals making sure that the newly diagnosed are supported um, and you know people like me can do everything possible to make them feel welcome and to make them feel like you know I had a thought exactly like theirs when they were diagnosed um, and that we can all just really band together work together and 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 create the awareness that is is so necessary um you know this this thing is is a beast but it can be tamed and with with organizations like beyond type one and each one of us raising our voice um and supporting one another i think you know the future is is so bright for all of us and you know i'm i'm here you know i'm sitting here 30 years in with this disease and i'm great and it is it is possible to live a full happy healthy life 
with this disease, but you just have to work a little harder to, to find the people that, that can help you kind of get through the bad times and really celebrate the good times with you. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think finding those people that can help you has never been easier. And that's what makes me, I'm super grateful for the community um, because of that. Because me can, too. Even, even, just, even if it's just a conversation or even if it's just a, uh, a message or a comment or a, you know whatever the case may be, a, a small interaction, uh, an encouraging word, um, I always try to, to remember that you know, n- not everybody gets an encouraging word about their diabetes every day directly to them. And you know, whenever I can be that for somebody, um, I know that, that that comes back to me a you know, hundred times over. It's just uh, you know, I, the, the amount of good coming out of the type one community right now, especially, I think it's never, it's at an all time high and it's, and it's going higher and I'm very grateful for it. Like you said, and then that's what makes me hopeful for, you know, of course I'd love to get a cure just like you. Um, but yeah. for that time until that comes, uh, you know, we're in this together and, and we're stronger because of it. Yeah. And I, and I can't even tell you, you know, how many, invaluable tips and pieces of advice I've received. Um, you know, just little, little things like, you know, what you can do to, to keep, you know, your, your sensor attached just a couple days longer, you know, things that you can't find anywhere else. Um, you know, from that to just helping someone through a really dark time who just doesn't want to even take their insulin because quote unquote, what's the point? You know, I, I see it all and, and I, I feel so fortunate to be able to impart any sort of wisdom or experience to a fellow type oneer to to make their their situation just a little bit better because we are going to get to a cure, um, but in the meantime we have all of these resources and all of these tools at our fingertips and you know I think nobody seems to understand how far the technology has come more than me because I didn't even realize you know, over the the years of mine just kind of keeping my head down and, and doing things the way I'd always done them, I looked up and then suddenly there's this there's there's this thing called a CGM, you know, and that stuff is just gonna continue to develop and develop and develop until we get to a point where we really aren't gonna have to think about it nearly as much. And to me that that's something, you know, I'm so grateful for, and just gives me so so much how so much hope, and um, you know pride in being a part of this community because we really are are pretty strong people. We we go through a lot on a daily basis, and and it just it makes me so proud to to be able to be a part of this community. Uh, and I, I echo, I'll echo that a hundred times. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud and, and fortunate and grateful and lucky to be a part of this uh, community. Um, Jen, you mentioned, uh, you know, getting in touch with you. Um, and, and I want to focus on, you know, where, where they can find you online, uh, where, where our listeners can find you if they want to reach out to you. But I want to do a quick lightning round kind of before we get to the end of that. Okay. Um, so I'm going to put, I know I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but uh, okay, oh boy, you, just, oh boy. 
you have such a great uh, such a great story, um, and and I think you know a, a very unique perspective. So um, I want you to I'll give you the first question is going to be around your time working uh, working on Letterman. So give yeah. me your uh, what's your what's your go to David Letterman story that you tell. Oh boy, there are a few, um, but I think the one that's just sticking out for me right now is, uh, you know, occasionally the staff members were asked to be in sketches, and um, the one that I'm most proud of, I was a uh, asked to don a squirrel suit and dance with Dave in a jail cell, and that was for a viewer mail piece. So that was quite that was quite an experience. <laughs> I was proud to tell my parents about that one. Yeah, check me out tonight, mom and dad. I'm in the squirrel suit dancing with Letterman in a jail cell. <laughs> that video's got to be on YouTube somewhere, deep, <laughs> deep in the YouTube archives, I imagine, right? Deep, deep, deep in the in the archives, I'd say. Yes, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> And now, I, and I think too, uh, to, for number two, just in, uh, on a totally different side of the spectrum, uh, I know you shared story about working with Nick Jonas and his people um, with, on MTV. What's your uh, what's your go to Beyond Type One story? What's your favorite thing about uh, you know the last few years? Uh, for Beyond Type One in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, I would say it was, was collecting the check with Sarah and Tracy for the, um, the Revlon love challenge. We came in, uh, fourth place and we got a $50,000 check and, um, there was a, a party downtown and we went and we collected the check and, and, you know, I'd worked really so hard to to raise the money and and I loved every moment of it um as as did everyone else and it was just such a a great feeling to be able to hold that giant check in my hand and feel like I was such a part of something that was so meaningful to um to to lives that's so awesome, and I and I think I'd encourage anybody who's never been a part of like a even a race or a walk, um, or any sort of type one uh, fundraising event, just go be a part of that and be around the people that are uh, that are involved because it's such a rewarding feeling, even more than you know. You may not you don't have to go pick up a fifty thousand dollar check to feel like you're really making a difference. Absolutely not, no, and and that's that's certainly just being a part of 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 something that you know is going to affect people in a positive way, and oftentimes that's just just showing up and showing your support and lending a hand however you possibly can. I can't describe, um, you know, what a, what an amazing feeling it is. It just comes back to you again and again and again. Well, Jen, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on the show um, and for reaching out uh, a couple weeks ago. It's been great to kind of email with you back and forth, um, you know, as we, as we found our time to chat um, and, you know, learning more about your story. It's so inspiring and I'm so glad uh, that we were able to do it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for, for making some time. And, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm, I'm more than happy to speak with anyone at any, at any time about any issue, uh, diabetes related or not just, um, again, happy to, to be a part of this community and help in any way I can.
And um, for those of, for or for our listeners who are more uh, social media savvy, uh, so any Twitter or Instagram profiles that you would uh, recommend they reach out to you on? Absolutely. So Twitter, I'm Stillsonian, S-T-I-L-S-O-N-I-A-N. And on Instagram, I have a diabetes-specific um, account, which is in like slin. That's I-N-L-I-K-E-S-L-I-N. And then my regular handle uh, is Stilsonator, S-T-I-L-S-O-N-A-T-O-R. And then I'm also on Facebook under Jennifer Stilson Fleece. Your mastery of puns is like, that's, that's now like my favorite, my favorite thing. Like, I hate that we got to this like right at the end of the interview because that's, uh, that's so fun. And if you want a real treat, check out uh, Crocs in Socks on YouTube. That's, that's my work as well. That is a, a parody of Kesha's TikTok about people who wear Crocs. Oh, goodness. Well, I, uh, I, have, a, I have my work cut out for me to include you do. Uh, all that. In the sh- and I'll include all that in the show notes, uh, as Absolutely. well as see if I can find that squirrel dancing in the jail cell with uh, David Letterman. Oh, boy. Yeah, good times. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Jen, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind-the-scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.